This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. It's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's unpacked. It's a big one. Just before PMQ's started, Dominic Cummings released a WhatsApp message from Boris Johnson in which he described Matt Hancock as totally effing hopeless. Uh, He didn't use the word effing. Uh, It was a slightly stronger language than that. Will Keir Starmer raise it at PMQ's? Will he sock it to the Prime Minister, humiliating him in front of everyone? What do you think? You can find out when Tim Shipman and I pause the action live from the House of Commons and PMQs are unpacked. Next, first, it's our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. So, Alice, let's start with your column in The Times today, which is all about how we're just not ready for post-lockdown life. So my surprise here was the fact that we... If you look at all the um, press and you look at the Tory backbench MPs, you feel that no one wants the extension to this lockdown. But if you look at the polling, 71% of people actually agree with Boris. And that's what's fascinating to me, is that the country actually does want to extend the lockdown. And that's not just because they think this virus is dangerous, I think, because quite a lot of them are breaking quite a lot of the rules, so they can't be that nervous. The main reason seems to be that we've got used to being in lockdown and that we're quite nervous actually about coming out of it now. Yeah, I was. I was. Just, uh, I went to the cinema last night to see uh, the father, and uh, mm. I, I, I met my wife there. So I was in the like the reception bit for like probably ten fifteen minutes. I didn't see a single other person. We were in the cinema. We were the only two people in there. And I just thought this is like was like a Tuesday. I know it was a hot night and all of that, but a, a normal Tuesday night in June for this big Oscar winning film. Only I think it was only out in his first week. There was literally nobody else there. Gone back to a sort of 1970s situation, slightly where you only go to the cinema for a special treat or a birthday, and you know, we're all um, going to the park and feeding the swans. Or there's a sense of um, you know picnics and 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 we're getting on and making do, but it does feel very much like that decade rather than in the 21st century. What are you, Robert? Are you um, are you still hold up at home, or are you going out there making the best of it? Uh, I'm still holed up at home in that in I'm not going to the office. Uh, and but 
yeah, I'm getting out and about a bit, and I, uh, but I know I know what Alice means. I had I went I went on a tube the other day for the first time in probably a year, and I was uh, I did have a bit of anxiety, which I which I kind of never would normally have. Uh, so I think you know a little bit about you know the, the sort of the being around people again and going down the escalator. I felt like a kind of a tourist who's never been on the on a escalator before. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I feel uh, I, I think there is a bit of uh, there is a bit of anxiety about going back to nineteen seventies and maybe going back to nineteen fifties. I mean, it was it was you know <laughs> all the, bake, the baking and knitting and uh, mind you, the, the telly has been a bit the, the big difference, I suppose. Thank God for telly. Amazing. It's also that sense of a three day week, isn't it? And a sort of everything's a bit slow. And in a way, we're incredibly yeah. nostalgic about the seventies and the space hoppers and the you know and the, and the power. Sort of, the, yeah, yeah, and it, it felt and very bit, gentle, but actually you how bad it was, that there were so many bits of it that weren't great. And I, you know, you remember it being really yeah. hot, sleeping, you know, in the garden. And I kind of, you know, we never went abroad on holiday, all that bit. And I feel very nostalgic for that. But at the same time, we don't really want to go back to that, do we? That Maybe, there wasn't yeah, any I mean, aspiration. Uh, no, there wasn't. No, the country was kind of grinding to a halt. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that bit. It, it, yeah, we've got that. There's no, we don't bin bags parting up in the streets no. and all of that. Um, and I, I wonder whether you touched on something there, Bob. You were talking about um, not going into the office, and there's quite a lot of, mm. you, you know, part of the re, you know, you coming into the office, you're seeing other people, and so and so says, "Oh, that's a good gap, you know, exhibition or a good film or a good pub or whatever." Yeah. You go to for drinks afterward, and it's quite easy. Um, and I know from, you know, when I was doing the show from home earlier in the year, it's quite easy just to never leave the house. Uh, and if you don't leave the house, you don't come across other reasons to leave the house. You know, the fact, um, you no, know, that's true. we went to the cinema and saw trailers about five films I hadn't heard of and thought, oh, I'd quite like to go and see those. But if you don't go to the cinema, you don't see any of them. It's just, it's just it, all these stuff sort of drops off your peripheral vision. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, going to the office was always, a, it was never about going to do any work. It was always about socialising. <laughs> it was always, and, and meeting your, <laughs> meeting your mates and, you, and, you did. You probably you probably did your serious work at home, uh, and you went into the office to to show and to bounce ideas around, and yeah, uh, and to socialise. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, I miss that. But then I'm. Uh, I've got a, a half hour. I can walk to work if I'm. If I mean, if I'm feeling energetic, it's three miles away. Uh, I guess a lot of people who don't miss hour and a half on a crowded, possibly late train, are thinking. You know what? Uh, I, I won't be doing that again in a hurry. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. And so, well, the problem is that actually we're just so bad at it. So if you look at the statistics, the thing that really shocked me when I was doing my column is how you know, the French have all gone back. So last yeah. time, eighty-one percent or something of the French went back, and we just didn't go back. And it's the same with the Italians and the Germans, and and we like to think of ourselves as hardworking, but actually the British don't want to go back. And the same is happening this time: is that America's pretty much gone back. You know, and we're still making excuses. Even if you're doubly vaccinated, you're not really that keen on going back into the office and or thinking about rearranging things. And totally Robert's point that actually you don't want the long commutes and we have longer commutes than other countries in Europe. But there is a sense that at some stage we all do need to get back. And like, you know, Robert was the best person in the office at Ideas from everything from politics to not wearing a leather skirt, as we know. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm <laughs> Wait, wait, what what day did you wear a leather skirt into the office, Robert? I had to tell him. I not once wrote. I, I once I once told him about how I didn't. This is this is getting this is verging onto dangerously sexist territory. <laughs> I once wrote a column about how I didn't actually like women wearing leather skirts, despite the the kind of mainstream view that uh, all men did. 
I do. And Alice, has and never Alice took issue it. with that. Oh, I see. <laughs> and Alice had the leather skirt, so that was the Alice issue. Alice was one of the was one of the leather skirt wearers. That's fine, well, but it's, 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 it's fine for you to wear it, Alice. It's just not for 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 Robert's benefit. I suppose that's the um. That's the, and what about the role of young I people? I did make that point. I think. What about the role of young people? This, Alice, is it possible that young people might be the trailblazers in all of this? They might actually go out and in, uh, enjoy themselves and, and try to recapture some of what they've lost in the past uh, year. And so that's what really interests me about these statistics is that actually it's a very odd alliance. So the people who really don't like this lockdown are the, the sort of right wing and the sort of Tory MPs on the right of the party. But they're allied for the first time in years with students and young people. And that's not normally there. They're normally quite like the sort of populist vote this time. They're, they're actually together with the very young. And it's the 18 to 24 year olds in the survey that really want to get out and only 52% of them agree with a lockdown. And, and I definitely saw that. There wasn't anybody in the last couple of days of my friends who was really angry about the lockdown continuing, apart from <clears> my 18 <throat> year old daughter who immediately said, oh my God, I can't go clubbing for another month. I've got all these parties but I want to go to. And she was definitely the one that was most upset about not being able to get back to normal and not being able to have a life that she wanted to lead at 18. And I suppose that's the thing. Actually, but I think it was this, this talk of Freedom Day and the Great Unlock. Um, the only two things you can't do is have a great big wedding, which you now can do, uh, but no dancing. Uh, and it's literally mm. nightclubs. I mean, most mm. most of us could go about doing most of the things we want to do right now, except go to a nightclub. Robert. Or a festival. Or a festival. Yeah. yeah. Which I would pay not to go to anyway. So I'm, I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I mean, Alice says the, 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 the young people, the youngsters are, are kind of angry, but I thought it was actually significant that 52, I thought 54, but 52% of 18 to 24 year olds supported the extension. And that, obviously that figure went up through the, through the age range. So that's, that's what I took from it. There was, even though, even the 18 to 24 year olds are uh, narrowly in favour, which kind of backs up Alice's argument that, that we're all uh, we've all kind of gone into this new comfort zone. Yeah, and it, it was interesting, Alice. You touched. Maybe on they the... don't want to go. To, maybe they don't want to go to nightclubs as as much as we think they do. Well, I don't know. Yeah, my, <laughs> I mean, my, my impression is the teen. Well, the, the one teenager who lives in our house is they don't like like going out very much at all. Certainly not as much as I did. But no, I generate, generation sensible. Yeah, um, uh, I, don't really, do they? I wanted to uh, ask you both as well about um, just because I quite like a topic when I can't quite work out what I think about it. Um, uh, mandatory COVID jabs for NHS and care home staff on the front of the yeah. Times today. And I, I'm genuinely sort of a bit torn because on the one hand, do you want the state mandating the health procedures you have to have? On the other hand, do I want to be treated by a doctor who's mm. chosen not to have the jab? What do you think, Robert? Well, the state already mandates a certain amount of health treatment. Uh, you're supposed to have a hepatitis B jab if you work in uh, the NHS or the uh, or, or care industry. And, you know, we, we don't have a problem telling workers on building sites to wear hard hats and, uh, you know, steel toe caps. Uh, I'm a bit torn as well. I tend, I think I tend to come down on the side of uh, supporting this uh, with, I mean, I'm looking, just looking at some of the figures. Uh, 20% in London of uh, NHS staff still unvaccinated, 10% overall. In Barnsley, it's a third, a third of care home workers still unvaccinated, even though they've all obviously been offered the jab. Uh, then you start to, then you, the Royal College of Nursing says it's opposed, and uh, then you start to worry that 
the NHS has got recruitment problems anyway, and are a bunch, a whole bunch of people going to leave? But mm, on balance, I think people, yeah, I think people in 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 hospital in hospitals and in care homes uh, should be vaccinated by law if necessary, and if they don't want to be, then they shouldn't they shouldn't be in those industries. What do you think, Alice? Where do you stand on this one? So I was very much um, a vaccinate um, anyone who works in a care home and the NHS. And, you know, I, my father's in a care home and I felt they should all be doing it. But then I, I wrote a piece on it recently and um, the care home providers were saying they just can't get these people to do it. And if they refuse to do it, we haven't got enough staff in these care homes. I mean, the major problem at the moment is these care homes are floundering, partly because after Brexit, they're mm. trying to find the staff from abroad, partly because it's, you know, it is too expensive now and they've got a problem with beds. But I think... I think the care homes have had such a tough time in the last 15 months that if they feel they can't vaccinate their staff and they're forced into it and they lose those staff, it might be impractical to try and do this. I'm not, I think there's also going to be, there will also be inevitably a legal challenge and there will probably be human rights lawyers in, in, in work for quite some time. But it's such a weird thing, isn't it? If you're, if you're a sort of senior medical person, why do you launch a legal challenge to not get a vaccine, which has been proven to prevent you spreading something which would kill your patients. It's such a weird... Um, but I suppose, you know... Uh, well, yeah, it so, won't be that. It'll be, it'll be, I guess it'll be the Royal College of Nursing that launches the action. Yeah, but even so, even so, it just seems it seems an odd... But this is why I can't quite get my head around it, where, what I um, actually uh, actually think about it. But then that's... that's it's, it's very odd, and, it's, and I find it particularly odd that, you know... A significant minority of the of people haven't had the uh, uh, choosing to go unvaccinated. I mean, it shouldn't be a problem, should it? They should just they should be the uh, first in line. Well, I'm pleased to say, looking at the texts and tweets, we've managed to upset. Well, like that, not me, you two. We've managed to upset up uh, upset everyone. Someone says, "What an old fashioned view! You don't need to be in the office to work hard." I'm not sure actually that was Robert's point. Robert's point was the opposite. He came into the office to muck about. Uh, Ken says, "I'm 62 years old and I work in nightclubs, gigs, and festivals. I'm bloody furious. I can't go back to work." Uh, so that's Ken. And then Kathleen says, I can't join in nostalgia for the 70s. I was a young woman working overseas, and every time I landed at Heathrow, there was a baggage handler's strike. So there we are. <laughs> uh, old people want to go to nightclubs. Nobody enjoys the 70s, uh, and you can work half from home. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there. And you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yeah, Matt Chorley with you on Times Radio PMQ's Unpacked. Tim Shipman's here. Afternoon, Tim. Good afternoon, Matt. So, uh, we were just discussing uh, Dominic Cummings' uh, uh, latest addition to his Twitter thread, now publishing a screen grab of a uh, WhatsApp message from Boris Johnson, uh, in which he describes Matt Hancock as totally effing hopeless. Um, uh, And he then sets out uh, several questions, uh, a few simple questions to ask the PM. Do you think Keir Starmer might just read them out? Uh, I'd be surprised if he took uh, dictation from Dominic Cummings. Um, This is another attempt by Cummings to sort of create a a moment of political drama, but it would be very odd indeed if uh, Starmer didn't take some of the information contained therein um, and work that into a script that presumably was going to cover... Uh, COVID and and the opening up and all the rest of it. And what this primarily covers is the failure to get testing up and running quickly enough uh, in enough volume. Uh, And he says also um, in this thread that um, Boris Johnson described the lack of PPE as a disaster. Now, Matt Hancock um, was obviously defending himself um, recently um, from all those charges. And most of these questions, uh, singly and combined, build up to saying, you know, how many people died in the care homes because of the disaster around what you described as a disaster around PPE and what you described as this hopeless performance by the Secretary of State for Health. Um, I'd be surprised if um, Starmer doesn't use a little bit of that. Um, But I think uh, a lot of people in Westminster are resistant to the idea that Dominic Cummings can just uh, create a a small bomb 10 minutes before Prime Minister's questions and have everybody dance to his tune. And uh, I imagine Boris Johnson's uh, having that feeling that I think we all would if someone started publishing our WhatsApp messages in public. Uh, well, indeed. About um, colleagues. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want my WhatsApp messages to either Boris Johnson or Dominic Cummings to be published. To be <laughs> and I suspect they wouldn't want their replies published either. I think you could uh, you could well be right. Uh, Boris Johnson is making a statement uh, straight after PMQs on the G20 and the NATO summit. So that that may or may not come up. He'll probably uh, demand to know why Keir Starmer isn't asking him uh, about all of those things. Uh, at exactly the same moment, uh, Joe Biden and uh, uh, President uh, Vladimir Putin are about to meet in Geneva. So it's all it's all happening. We can now go live to the House of Commons. This is Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join with the Prime Minister's remarks in relation to Sir Roy Stone? This week also marks the fourth anniversary of the Grenfell fire tragedy, where 72 people lost their lives. It's frankly an outrage that there are still more than 200 high-rise flats with Grenfell-style cladding, and many leaseholders are trapped in homes that are neither safe nor sellable. The best way to mark this tragedy is not with words, but with action, and I urge the Prime Minister finally to end the cladding scandal. Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister has already said, today is the fifth anniversary of the death of our dear friend, and colleague Joe Cox. Joe had already changed so many lives for the better. She was passionate about creating a fairer, more just world. I know she would have gone on to achieve so much more and that she would have been so proud of the work of her foundation and what it's doing in her name. Joe and I were in the same intake into this house. We were friends and our children around the same age. And there's not a day that goes by when we don't miss Joe. And I know I speak not just for these benches, but for many across the House, when I say that today we remember Joe. 
Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister recognise that his decision to keep our borders open contributed to the spread of the Delta variant in this country? Prime Minister. Uh, no, Mr Speaker. I think that uh, Captain Hindsight needs to adjust his retro, his retro spectroscope because he's completely wrong. Uh, uh, we put India... We put India on the red list, Mr. Speaker, on April, on April the 23rd, uh, and the Delta variant was not uh, so identified until April uh, the 28th, uh, Mr. Speaker, and was only identified as a variant of concern on May the 7th, uh, Mr. Speaker. When he criticises this government for wanting to keep our borders open, just remember that he voted 43 times in the last five years, Mr Speaker, to ensure that our border controls were kept in the hands of Brussels, Mr Speaker. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, right, uh, just to uh, do some sort of uh, housekeeping, just to explain uh, some of the things that were raised. Uh, Sir Roy Stone, uh, tributes paid to him at the beginning. Uh, any ideas, Tim? Uh, no. I will help you with that then. Uh, he, uh, Sir Roy Stone, uh, is, uh, since t- the year 2000, has been the principal private secretary to the government chief whip. So a civil servant working for the government chief whip across, uh, well, that would be Blair, Brown, Cameron, May and now uh, Johnson. Uh, he's retiring, so that was uh, that. Uh, there was also um, Keir Starmer uh, raised Grenfell. He sounded like he might go on Grenfell uh, and then didn't. Uh, he then noticed... That was quite a clever way of just getting his point in, getting a clip without actually using one of his questions up. Yes, yeah, just made so a statement and then moved on. He moved on from that. He then uh, obviously paid tribute to uh, Joe Cox, and I wondered whether he was going to f- reflect on uh, that, not least because there's a there's a, um, a by-election happening in her old seat of Batley and Spen. But no, that he didn't do that. Instead, he asked about the Delta variant and whether or not Boris Johnson uh, regretted not doing more to stop that getting in. Uh, and he blew the cobwebs off Captain Hindsight. What, what's been interesting, Tim, in our past, in fact, our, the focus group we did with. Uh, Frank Luntz on the show on Monday is Captain Hindsight's really hit home and one of the people in the in the focus group said I heard someone describe him as Captain Hindsight the other day and I thought yes that's exactly right he's always uh, wise after the event and so I'm not quite sure whether retrospectoscope is going to catch on in quite the same way uh, it, it may not but um, you're right I mean Boris Johnson's quite good at coining these phrases and sometimes they cut through and when they do they can see that in the numbers and that's why we keep hearing them um, anything there so far that you that, that's moving the dial? I mean, there's no clue yet as to whether or not uh, Keir Starmer is following Dominic Cummings on Twitter. No, I mean, it's interesting that Boris Johnson's flat out denying um, this whole business of, of uh, not uh, closing the borders. I mean, he's you know, rightly says that these, the particular variant that we now call the Delta variant didn't come in until after India was on the red list. But there were other variants in India that were uh, causing uh, problems before that. And, and as we know, Pakistan was put on the list um, a good 10 days earlier. So um, I suspect we might be about to have a, a rather arid debate about dates, um, which will get us very, uh, well, frankly, take us back to where we were about a month ago. <laughs> Here we go, then. Let's go back. Has Keir Starmer got anything more than a conversation about dates? Mr Speaker, this is absurd. I have, on seven occasions, at PMQs, raised the question of the borders with the Prime Minister. They're all marked up in the transcript. They're all there in Hansard, uh, Prime Minister. Time for a better defence. Your defence is as bad as your border policy. And Mr Speaker, this is the, the Prime Minister talks about the dates. Let's go through the dates. On March the 24th, a new variant was reported in India. On the 1st of April... India was reporting that over 100,000 new infections were rising a day and rising. But the Prime Minister kept India off the red list until the 23rd of April. 
In that time, 20,000 people came into the UK from India. What on earth did the Prime Minister expect would be the consequences of that? The British people did their bit by following the rules and getting vaccinated. But the Prime Minister squandered it by letting a new variant into the country. That was not inevitable. It was the consequence of his indecision. If the Prime Minister disagrees with me, and he answered the first question, no, what is his explanation as to why Britain has such high rates of the Delta variation? What's his explanation? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, there's a very simple reason why the UK generally has a better understanding of the variants in this country, and that's because uh, we do 47% of the genomic testing anywhere in, in the world, uh, Mr Speaker. And I, I really think that he should get his, his facts straight, because uh, the, the Delta variant, as I've said, was identified uh, in this country on uh, April the 28th. He, and, and I have a, a document on which I believe the uh, Leader of the Opposition is, is relying, Mr Speaker, which he says that the Delta variant, I, it, it seems to be published by someone called David Evans, uh, General Secretary of the Labour Party, uh, saying that the Delta variant was identified on April the 1st, Mr Speaker. He says B1617 uh, was designated under investigation on April the 1st, uh, the Delta variant. Mr Speaker, that is not the Delta variant. That is the Kappa variant, Mr Speaker. It's a, it's a gamma, uh, Mr Speaker, for the Labour Party. There's a difference. The Delta variant, as it happens, is, is seeded around the world in 74 countries and um, sadly is growing. But there's a difference between those countries and this country, Mr Speaker. In this country, we've vaccinated almost 79% of the adult population and given two vaccinations to 56%, a, a programme that he would have stopped, Mr Speaker, by keeping us in the European Medicines Agency. Hey. <laughs> That's one of his favourites, isn't it? The... Uh, uh... Keir Starmer's enthusiasm for the European Medicine. Me, me, but some new lines. We have the Kappa variant and, and a Gamma for the Labour Party. It's good that we're now handing out Latin grades uh, to the leader of the opposition. Yeah, those of us who didn't study la Latin will have no idea what he's uh, It's not a good grade, my rudimentary Latin uh, tells me. So uh, it's one of these things where um, uh, Keir Starmer, to some extent, has a point. You know, when you go through those dates, you do think, well, there was a gap there. There's, there is a, at least a, a suspicion that uh, part of the reason why India wasn't put on the, the red list was because Boris Johnson was planning to go there and he was supposed to be having sort of trade talks uh, with Modi Well, a suspicion India. shared, frankly, by quite a lot of people in his own government. Yes. Um, but uh, I'm not quite sure what he wants Boris Johnson... Boris Johnson's not going to say at the dispatch box, no, you're right. No, he's not. And, and quite often PMQs works better when the leader of the opposition signals kind of clearly where he's going and the argument he's trying to make. I mean, what he's trying to do is Starmer is of the view, presumably, that the public is upset that the um, economy will not be opening up uh, on June the 21st. And he is trying to get um, Boris Johnson blamed for that um, uh, in the public eye. Um, what he's not going to achieve is to get Boris Johnson to accept that blame at the dispatch box. So he has to try and uh, sort of uh, just spread the information and hope that it cuts through. But he's doing it in such a sort of random houses way that um, it's not really uh, immediately obvious to average punter tuning in, I wouldn't think, what he's up to. Yeah, Luke has uh, got in touch saying, uh, it seems a weird point for Starmer to focus on. Yes, the government m messed up, to put it lightly, but Johnson can always turn around and say, but look what we've done well, i.e. vaccinations. So it's an argument that rhetorically, at least, Starmer can't win. I suppose that's... Uh... Well, that's true of all COVID arguments to a degree now, isn't it? Pretty well everything can be reduced in Boris Johnson's mind to... There's an inquiry that will look at this later, and, by the way, the vaccinations are going terribly well. 
and you know and that, that gives that, him the get out. And that look, will sell you through. Most polls suggest that the public broadly buys that argument. Alex says he's not sure what Johnson's on about. Shane says Johnson is out of his depth yet, yet again. And Greg says surely it's Greek, not Latin. So we've got, we've completely messed that up. Um, my get, apologies. Get that touch, shows my classical education. Get in touch in the usual ways. Eight seven trouble two. Start measure of the word times. We can tweet me at Times Radio. Let's go back for question three from Keir Starmer. The, 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 the question was, what's his explanation for our high rates of the Delta variant? Answer: There came none, other than apparently we understand the variant. The data is very, very clear. Our NHS, our NHS has been doing an amazing job with the vaccine rollout. But while the NHS was vaccinating, he was vacillating. It's because of his indecision that our borders stayed open. It's because of his indecision that India stayed off the red list. It's because of his indecision that in that period 20,000 people came to this country from India. Mr Speaker, the consequences are now clear. The rate of the Delta variant is much higher here than in other countries. And we learn today that, tragically, once again, the UK has the highest infection rate in Europe. We did not want to top that table again. Mr Speaker, if his borders policy is so strong, how does the Prime Minister explain that? Mr Speaker, I think for the ease of the House, he should begin by pulping uh, his document in which he incorrectly identifies uh, what the Delta variant variant is. Uh, uh, And, uh, Mr Speaker, we took uh, the most drastic steps possible to put India on the uh, red list on April 23rd before that variant was even identified. And the the big difference between this country and the rest of Europe, he loves these uh, comparisons, uh, Mr Speaker, it shows his his instance, but the big difference is that we've had the fastest vaccine rollout anywhere in Europe. Uh, We have a very, very high degree of protection, and it's thanks to the vaccine rollout, thanks to the fantastic efforts of the NHS, that we have now, and we can continue with one of the most open economies and societies in Europe and get on and get on with our cautious but irreversible roadmap to freedom, Mr Speaker. Uh, before we go back to Keith, stop texting in about Greek and Latin. It's not my area of expertise. Um, uh, Tim Shipman, um, if, if, well, we had a Johnson-esque attempt um, uh, uh, by Keir Starmer. While, while um, the country was vaccinating, you were vacillating. It's one of those, I think, that's, that looks better written down. It's the kind of thing that <laughs> Boris Johnson might want to put in a column if he was uh, uh, on the other side of the fence. Yeah, um, better not read out. It, it was one of those that um, was met with what can only be described as an echoing silence behind him. That's an interesting point. Producer Poppy thinks that Boris Johnson has used it himself against Keir Starmer. I think, I think I that think may be the right. case, actually. One other thing I wanted to mention is watching the live feed from the Commons... The dispatch box appears to be in a perspex box. Is that a new thing this week? I haven't noticed it before, but uh, I did notice it today. The, both the, of them on both, both sides. Both of them are leaning the on a clear... In further evidence of everyone going mad. Uh, they've now covered... The, how is that going to help? Are they going to have a clear box for every person? Yes, exactly. Yeah, they're trying to stop the dispatch box from catching COVID. Um, I'm not sure we learned a huge amount in that exchange either. Matt uh, has been in touch saying, excellent, comprehensive, well-prepared and clever answers from Boris Johnson. Just a shame it's not related to anything he's been asked, uh, which just about sums up PMQs. Let's go back to, let's go back to Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister put as much effort into protecting our borders as he does coming up with ridiculous excuses, the country will be reopening next week. Yeah. But even now, what do we know? The Delta variant responsible for 90% of infections in this country. He's persisting with a traffic light system that doesn't work. 
and won't stop other variants coming in. Mr Speaker, after so many mistakes, and with the stakes so high, why doesn't the Prime Minister do what Labour is calling for? Drop the traffic light system, get rid of the amber list, secure the borders, and do everything possible to save the British summer? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, he doesn't even know what the Delta variant is. Uh, and he, and, and, he, and uh, we, have the toughest, we have the toughest border measures anywhere in the world. And we will, we will continue. Uh, we, have 50 countries on the, we have 50 countries on the red list, Mr Speaker. And if he's now saying, if he's now saying uh, that he wants to stop all, transit, all traffic, all travel to and from this country, uh, then it's yet another flip-flop uh, from the Labour leader of the opposition, yet another, yet, yet another totally unintelligible flip-flop, Mr Speaker. If he, wants to, if he wants to close this country down uh, to travel, which is what I understood him uh, to be saying, uh, then it's not only an, a, a yet another flip-flop, but it's also totally pointless, because we have 75% of our medicines and 50% of our food that comes in from abroad, Mr Speaker. He's got to, he's got to adopt a consistent position. Just Oh, well, there we are. That's, uh, that's certainly cleared all that up. Uh, Poppy was absolutely right. Boris Johnson has said the opposition vacillate, we vaccinate, not once, not twice, but three times this year, February, March and May. Well, an interesting uh, adoption of that then. Um, maybe they've, maybe Labour and their focus groups have seen this phrase cut through. Um, seems pretty unlikely. It seems unlikely. Um, somebody on Twitter says, this is the PMQs on Times Radio. Uh, Jesus Christ, big Boris can't even get his words out. Well, he can't, but uh, to some degree, but... It feels to me like he's handling this reasonably easily at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, uh, he's not had a knife in under the guts yet from Starmer. And we were discussing uh, before we began that uh, Dominic Cummings has put out this message where he highlighted all the failings of Matt Hancock uh, in a WhatsApp message and Boris Johnson called him effing hopeless in response. Uh, nothing on it so far yet from Keir Starmer. Our colleague Henry Zeffman, uh, chief political uh, correspondent for The Times, he's tweeted saying the Cummings blog is long, dense and drops only 23 minutes before PMQs, but surely if anyone should be sufficiently fleet of foot to use it against the Prime Minister immediately is a former Director of Public Prosecutions. Well, he's got two questions left. Let's, let's uh, pronounce judgment at the end. Uh, I, for one, would find it astonishing if he doesn't use it um, and, and, and evidence of the Labour machine not working properly. But um, let's, let's not condemn him before we've let's, got to the end. That, you're right. We've got two more questions uh, to go. Let's know what you think. 8722, start most of the word times. You can tweet me at Times Radio. Back to the House of Commons now and question number five from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, what I've learned, the worse the position for the Prime Minister, the more pathetic he gets. Is he really suggesting, is he really suggesting that the 20,000 people who came in from India were bringing in vital medical supplies or food. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. What we were arguing for is for India to be on the red list between the 1st and the 23rd of April. If that had happened, we wouldn't have the Delta variant here. And it's as simple as that. The Prime Minister's former senior adviser got it absolutely right. Here we go. He said, and I quote, fundamentally there was no proper border policy because the Prime Minister never wanted a proper border policy, a man who is in the room. And it's those in hospitality, in clubs, in pubs, the arts, tourism and travel who are paying the price of the Prime Minister's failure. All they ask is that they ha if they have to keep their businesses closed, they get the support that they need. But where is it? Business rate relief is being withdrawn from the end of this month, affecting 750,000 businesses. Furlough is being phased out. Mr Speaker, in Wales, the Labour government has acted. 
by extending business rate relief for a year and providing new support for those affected. When is the Prime Minister going to do the same for businesses in England? Well, let's just jump in there because he, he alluded to Dominic Cummings and then sort of... Well, that is, is, that, is that trailing his final question or has he um, botched it? Um, I, I wonder if Labour are a bit squeamish about citing uh, Dominic Cummings, a man that they've spent... I mean, they literally built a, a local election campaign at one point on complaining that he got a pay rise and nurses didn't. And maybe they just maybe citing him. But I mean, I don't know what... I suspect point. that's right. But my, I mean, you know, let's have the argument now then. My argument would be that uh, the big story is inevitably on COVID tomorrow in the papers and on the news this evening going to be uh, these messages that Cummings has revealed. And you as leader of the opposition can either play into that and be part of that story and get your point across uh, or, or you sit it out. And if he chooses to sit it out, everything that's happening at PMQs is going to be an irrelevance that, that doesn't trouble the scorers. And on, the, on this question, when he moved on to talking about uh, the amount of um, uh, the fact that business support is ending, even though some of the businesses that you mentioned, nightclubs and so on, uh, can't reopen, um, it's not completely clear. He's saying that Labour's support for the extension is going to be conditional on the extension of that support. Because actually, he said, I'm going to side with this growing band of Tory MPs who are unhappy about the extension. Uh, and I'm going to end the restrictions unless you uh, um, extend the uh, business support. That might actually gain some traction. Is what Barry Gardner was talking to us just before PMQ. Well, it's about. the kind of thing that they'd have the votes for in the Commons as well. So you could force the government's hand. If and, you wanted to. and you'd suddenly have businesses getting money thanks to Keir Starmer. But it's not totally clear that's what he's saying. Anyway, let's go back and hear uh, Boris Johnson's response. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, we're proud of the support we've given to businesses up and down the country. And the whole point about the cautious approach uh, that we are taking is to continue support both with furlough and with uh, support through business rates, through uh, grants of up to £18,000. Uh, the support from councils, uh, all of that is, is continuing. But what we're also seeing is uh, we're seeing businesses slowly uh, recovering. And the growth in the economy in April was 2.3%. Yeah. Uh, card spending over the bank holiday weekend was actually 20% above uh, pre-pandemic levels, Mr Speaker. I know how tough things have been, and we will look after business throughout this pandemic. But thanks to the vaccine rollout, thanks to the cautious steps uh, we are taking, we are seeing a shot in the arm for business across the country, and we will look after them all the way. Well, let's go back. Keir Starmer's last question. It's not what the government has done, it's what's needed now in light of the decision that was taken this week. Hospitality UK says the sector will lose £3 billion because of the delay and that 200,000 jobs could be at risk. That's not what has been done, it's what's needed now, Prime Minister. And the Federation of Small Businesses warns the government is being dangerously complacent. I think we've just seen an example of that. Mr Speaker, we all want these restrictions to be over, for our economy to be open for businesses to thrive. But the Prime Minister's indecision at the borders has blown it. And, the, and the, problem with, the problem with everything the Prime Minister says today, both what he says at the dispatch box and also what he mutters, um, is that we've heard it all before so many times. Last, last month, March, he said we could turn the tide in 12 weeks. Remember that? Then he said it will all be over by Christmas. Then we were told June 21st would be Freedom Day. Now we're told July 19th is Terminus Day. The British people don't expect miracles, but they do expect basic competence and honesty. And when it comes to care homes, protective equipment or borders, we see the same pattern from this Prime Minister. Too slow, too indecisive, over-promising, under-delivery. After all these failures and mistakes, why should anyone believe the Prime Minister now? Yeah. 
<laughs> apart from the sort of slightly silly pantomime shouting out, uh, the main takeaway from that is that Keir Starmer doesn't follow Dominic Cummings on Twitter. Uh, I mean, he was presented with a gift horse and he has chosen to look it in the mouth. Um, and I find that absolutely astonishing, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and it's not even... I mean, there is a very long blog that Dominic Cummings has put online, but when a former advisor uh, to the Prime Minister reveals just before PMQs that the Prime Minister called his home own health secretary, was it absolutely effing hopeless? Correct. And the leader of the opposition doesn't see the relevance Even of Even in the form that. of a joke, just work it in, play into the conversation, be part of what is obviously going to be one of the biggest stories of the day. You've got several jobs as, uh, as leader of the opposition. You, you can G up your own troops, you can make an important point about something that's uh, of vital importance to the nation. Um, you can do what is the thing that the bloke standing opposite you least wants you to do. And he didn't really do any of those things today. Um, this was not a big, important strategic PMQs that was laying out some important argument. Um, it was uh, wholly reminiscent of conversations we were having, you know, a month, six weeks ago, um, all because there's been a, a delay to the, the the opening up. As you say, he didn't stake a political line in the sand of his own, which might have caused Boris Johnson problems. Um, I think that's a, a real missed opportunity. I mean, even just to stand up and say, the Prime Minister and I agree on something. We both think Matt Hancock's completely effing hopeless. Exactly. Just make a joke of it. Make a joke of it or something. Well, let's see. Be part of the conversation. We're duty-bound to see what Boris Johnson's response was. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, why should anybody believe the leader of the opposition uh, when he can't... Uh, when he can't, he can't decide what he thinks from one week to the next. He says he has a, a tough position on borders. Actually, he was attacking uh, quarantine uh, only recently and saying, and saying that it was a blunt instrument that should be lessened, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, what I think the people of this country want to see is a government getting on with the vaccine rollout and getting on uh, with our cautious irreversible roadmap to freedom. And I'm very pleased, and he, he should say it again, uh, that we have one of the fastest vaccine rollouts anywhere in the world, certainly the fastest in Europe. It would not have been possible possible if we'd stayed in the EMA. We would not have been able to control our borders if, uh, as he voted for 43 times, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, we'd stayed in the, in the EU. Uh, we're getting on uh, with the job. We're bringing forward now 23, 24-year-olds uh, for asking them to come forward for their vaccines. I ask everybody to come forward uh, for their second jab. I trust uh, he has had his, Mr Speaker, and we are delivering on our commitments uh, to the British people. Not only a, a, a great outcome at the G7 summit uh, this last weekend in Carbis Bay, but a new free trade agreement uh, with Australia and a building back better across our country. We're getting on uh, with the job, Mr Speaker, and it would be, be a wonderful thing uh, once in his uh, bop, bop, time bop, as leader bop, of the opposition. Bop, bop. Yeah, yeah, we've heard all this before. That... What the government <laughs> is doing. Uh, and, 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 and some backing up uh, for our... Oh, is he finished? There we are. Now he's finished. There we go. Uh, we've heard all that before. Build back better. Blah, 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 blah. It, it, I mean, easy, easy peasy, lemon squeezy for Boris Johnson. I'm afraid um, that was, um, I mean, your, your job as Prime Minister is to avoid defeat and he avoided defeat uh, extraordinarily easily there um, and, um, and in a way that he really shouldn't have been able to. Um, that could have been a very awkward session for the Prime Minister. Um, and the leader of the opposition chose not to make it one um, for reasons that, you know, um, presumably they don't want to be seen to be 
Cummings marionette or whatever, um, dancing to the tune of a, of a Tory advisor. But um, when you're presented with an opportunity like that, it's it's pretty odd to um, decide to kick the ball to the corner flag instead of into the net. So, Jim, uh, listener, uh, Jim has just flagged. Uh, Theo Bertram, former advisor to, I think, Gordon Brown uh, in number 10, he's tweeted saying, it's completely bonkers to expect Starmer to raise Cummings' blog at PMQs. Uh, for the same reasons, reasons the Hoon Hewitt coup failed, that's one for connoisseurs there, uh, of when uh, Jeff Hoon and Patricia Hewitt launched a coup against Gordon Brown uh, just before PMQs. Uh, Theo says anything after 11.30 is too late. I mean, it, it's not like it's a series of, like, of documents you need to go through. It's just someone could have mentioned Kutagir Starmer at two minutes to 12. Dominic Cummings has put out a tweet, a tweet showing that uh, Boris Johnson called Matt Hancock completely effing hopeless. Well, as you say, you work it in as a line. If, you, if, you've, if you're so pleased with the way you've constructed your six questions and the way they build on each other, and I would argue that that was not a vintage set of six questions from Keir Starmer in any case, you still find a way of mentioning it. That's what you're there for. You're supposed to think on your feet, um, be flight of foot, and, and cause mischief and, and difficulty to the Prime Minister. Um, and he didn't. Um, and, uh, you know, Theo's an experienced guy and was involved in PMQ's prep, I think, back in the day. And I'm sure it would have been difficult to get Starmer to tear the whole thing up at, at, at beyond half past 11. But the idea that he could not have thought of something to say about that in, you know, in six whole questions of debate is uh, extraordinary to me. There is, it seems there's some sort of Labour spin operation insisting it was all deliberate and they'd chosen uh, not to... Um... Uh, go on, Dominic Cummings, because uh, the question of the Delta variant and how it got into the UK is uh, is much more important. Um, uh... Well, it might be more important, but it isn't more newsworthy, um, and their job is to get themselves on the news, frankly. Well, there we are. That was a, that was a satisfying half an hour, wasn't it? Uh, thanks so much for listening to PMQ's Unpacked. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times Radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB online via smart speaker or on the Times Radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories that we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.